Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Sunday night flagship edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast for January the 28th. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we are joined by a very special guest to talk all things Dolphin offseason. Chris Kaufman, or as some of you may know him as CK Parrot on Twitter, joins the show tonight, as well as on Tuesday's show, to go ahead and talk about free agent targets, the Miami quarterback position, 2018 draft, everything you need to get prepped for the next couple of months for the second season of Dolphins football, and frankly, the most exciting season for all of us the last two decades. But first, I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. We are now on Spotify as well. You can leave us a rating and review. It helps the podcast grow and get bigger and get out to more Dolphins. We really, really appreciate all of that that you guys do for us. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at NFL. You can follow the show at LockedOnFins. And of course, check out LockedOnDolphins.com. My mock offseason is up live right now on the website talking about what I would do if I were in charge with all the Dolphins free agents to be other teams free agents as well as the draft and all of the signings and constructing the 53-man roster for the 2018 Miami Dolphins. So check that out right now, LockedOnDolphins.com. And of course, last but not least, listen to the other Locked On Sports podcasts, including the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On Draft podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. And let's go ahead and skip first on fins and jump right into that interview with Chris Kaufman. And joining the podcast now, he has been featured on Bleacher Report, TSN, The Sun Sentinel, and even made a TV appearance on the NFL Network. I'm talking, of course, about Chris Kaufman. Chris, thanks for coming on the show tonight, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. And uh, the NFL Network hit, that was a while ago, and I want to say it was Ryan Mallett, so 2011, right? Uh, yeah, it was 2011, and um, and yeah, it was, uh, it was about Ryan Mallett, as I recall. How did that entire thing come to be? Because I remember seeing you on the TV. I was like, oh, my God, I've been on the message boards of that guy for like a decade now, and here he is on TV. Well, actually, it was kind of a two-year thing. Um, we started doing some some major uh, some major pieces um, uh, the year before that started to get noticed. And then that year we did, um, I believe that was also the year that uh, Cam Newton came out. I'm sorry, this was uh, Ryan Mallett was 2012, was he not? Um, I'm having trouble remembering. But anyway, the year that Cam Newton came out, uh, we did a huge piece on Cam uh, that got a lot of national attention. It kind of surprised us that, that it did. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, radio spots wanted to have us on to talk about Cam Newton. We were on radio in, uh, in Denver. We were on radio in Miami. We were on radio in, in a couple of different places to talk about Cam and the piece that we did on him. And then we rolled out with a piece that we did on Ryan Mallett, who was another controversial uh, quarterback at the time, too. And those those same people that had just noticed on the Cam Newton piece, the, you know, large 10,000 word or whatever it was piece on Cam Newton took notice on that one, too. And they uh, they said, well, you know what, why don't why don't we just go ahead and have you Uh, so an NFL Network uh, editor um, or sorry, producer just took notice and got a hold of me through Twitter and wanted to know if we, as in, I think, uh, you know, Simon Clancy, uh, who wrote the piece with me, um, 
if one of us wanted to come on the NFL network. And Simon, of course, not available to do it. He's in England. Uh, so I, uh, I was available. I went to the, um, to the Dolphins headquarters and we, we shot it and uh, we did a little piece. Yeah, when he talks about we, he's talking about UniversalDraft.com. He and a couple other guys that were friends of the Dolphins message board community made their own draft website. And if you know Chris, he goes way back into the, you know, into the the, the annals of the draft, and he's been a, a really big, I guess, guru of the draft for a long time now. I, Chris, you always talk about all these late round prospects and small school guys, and I'm always blown away by your ability to get the tape and get these notes on these guys. It's really fun to watch. So bringing Chris on here, he is at CK Parrot on Twitter. And the first thing I want to talk to you about, Chris, are the holes on the Miami Dolphins roster. Now, they're well documented. It seems like they've had the same holes for a half a decade now, and every roster does have holes, and most teams will enter the season with questions question marks on their roster. But which areas to you are absolutely paramount for the Dolphins to get fixed in 2018? A lot of it has to do with who's who's a free agent or who uh, who they might lose this season. Uh, I mean, when you look at the Jarvis the Jarvis Landry situation, that's just got to be so paramount in their minds and figuring out what to do there. So if you lose Jarvis Landry, then all of a sudden you've blown open another hole. Um, I think that they went with uh, a philosophy, uh, maybe a little bit of a, uh, a theory uh, last year with the guard position. Uh, and they didn't really value it highly, and they, they leaked out to everybody that would listen, really, um, all about why they were doing what they were doing, or rather not doing what they what they didn't do at that position. And I think that uh, because it became this season-long narrative, uh, it became a story, and it, it really plagued them the entire year, they're probably going to have to go the other way on that. Um, they're probably going to have to, you know, kind of admit a mea culpa and, um, and, and go ahead and sign somebody at the guard position. So I think that that's going to be one of their priorities in the off season. And keep in mind this off season, they're not going to have a lot of money to, to just throw around. If they had a lot of money to throw around, they probably wouldn't be in a tough spot with Jarvis Landry in the first place. Um, but uh, they're not going to have a lot of money to throw around. I think that one of the priority positions is going to be at the guard spot. Um, it's They're not going to be in the top markets for an Andrew Norwell or somebody like that, but they are going to be at those, those next-tier markets, I think, especially to get a left guard. I think it makes a lot of sense to get somebody next to Laramie Tunsil to help him out a little bit uh, since he was, I thought, very disappointing last year. Um, so I think that's one of the pl- places that they've got to go. The other one is, you know, depending on what they do with Julius Thomas. I mean, if they if they get rid of him, then they're going to look at the tight end position. Anthony Fasano is also a free agent. I mean, they've basically only got Marquise Gray if they uh, they get rid of those two. So that's just a that's just a wide open position there. Yeah, um, and then they're going to lose Jay Cutler and they're going to lose Matt Moore. They've decided to part ways with him. So they got to figure out the, the quarterback situation. And, you know, that has a big tie in, obviously, with the draft. But um, but they're, they're going to have to figure that situation out. But I just keep going back to that wide receiver position with Jarvis Landry, because that's the big one that they could see, you know, really really kind of blown open um, to where they have to do something big. And if they, if they do lose Landry uh, and I do think they're going to franchise him, um, but if they trade him away or such, then, uh, then they're going to have to go, 
you know, go find find a veteran there. Yeah, and I've been thinking, you know, this entire, I guess, process since the Dolphins really fell out of playoff contention, we've kind of shifted more towards off-season stuff like we tend to do every Thanksgiving or so as Dolphins fans. I've been, just been, been kind of trying to think about what they're going to do in terms of reshaping this offense. And you talked about, you know, the receiver room. If Landry goes, it seems like there's a, there could be this kind of like tectonic shift that happens on the offense because there's so much money tied up in players that just aren't that good. I mean, you talked about Julius Thomas. Obviously, he makes a lot of money for a guy that does not produce that much. You know, Kenny Stills is a very good player, but his figure is one of the higher numbers on the offense as well. And then Mike Pouncey. What's going to happen with Mike Pouncey? Because he's he's scheduled to make $9 million next year, and he was just not good in 2017. Yeah, I think that Mike Pouncey might be in line for a little bit of the Brandon Albert treatment uh, this offseason. Uh, but you have to... I mean, don't count him out just because he's a favorite of Adam Gaze's. He's one of the he's one of the few guys on the team that Adam Gaze will will seek out to to get the pulse of the team, and so they're not going to treat him with too much disrespect. And Pouncey, toward the end of the season, you saw some language coming out of him suggesting that he thought that he was having one of the best years of his career. Um, I don't know whether all of us thought that as well, but. Uh, he thought so. Uh, he he certainly stayed healthy for the entire season, which we didn't think was going to happen. Um, but he thinks that he also played really well. So if um, if he believes that he is still valuable that way, you could see him resist the the any um, attempt to try and get him to bring his numbers down. Uh, so they're going to handle that situation pretty delicately. And the problem is that you know if they don't have a lot of money to work with then, yeah, you, you get rid of Mike Pouncey, but you also just open up another huge hole to try and fill. Um, one guy to keep in mind that way with uh, with the center position, though, is uh, Denver's restricted free agent, Matt Paradis. Um, he's a guy that played for Gase uh, when Gase was there last in 2014, and he's been a pretty good restricted free agent, uh, or he's a restricted free agent now, but he's been a pretty good center for them, uh, and especially in his own scheme. And we're still, the Miami Dolphins are still predominantly zone. But um, yeah, remaking the offense, I, I think that, um, I don't think it's going to be a blow up. I think that if Jarvis Landry goes, then it could look like a blow up. I think they're going to try and get Mike Pouncey to come down in his number. I think they're going to try to get Juwan James to re-sign on sort of, um, you know, friendly terms. They're not going to pay him that fifth-year option of $9 million in a year, but they are going to, I think they are going to talk to him and ask him to come back on a, uh, on a little bit of a cheaper than $9 million deal, maybe sort of toward the six, $6 million mark or $7 million mark. Um, so you're going to see a lot of guys back, and I think sort of the narrative that's going to form out of all this is whereas Armando would try to tell you there are two schools of thought right now. One of them says blow it all up and rebuild. Another one says we're close. I think the narrative that's going to come out of a lot of this is going to be we were actually pretty close. We just needed Ryan Tannehill. You know, that's that's it. Um, so I think on the offense, if even if you lose Jarvis Landry and you do, you got to replace him, you're probably going to be looking at bringing Mike Pouncey back on a cheaper number, bringing Jawan James back keeping Kenny Stills around, giving Devontae Parker one more year. Um, I don't know. I don't really have a great feel about what they're going to do at the tight end situation because um, I haven't heard anything from my people. And 
Armando floated out there uh, that that he thinks Julius Thomas might actually be back, which would be you know just baffling <laughs> to me. But um, but yeah, so I, I don't have a good feel. But you know you're going to replace Matt Moore and and Jay Cutler and, and try and get a better backup, and then you're going to get the big one back, Ryan Tannehill. So I think that that could be the narrative. What happens? What shapes out on offense? So you talked about Ryan Tannehill a little bit. This is a Locked On Dolphins podcast. He is Chris Coffin at CK Parrott on Twitter, at Locked On Fans on Twitter. We're going to talk about Ryan Tannehill and the direction of the offense just after this. Back on the Locked On Dolphins podcast here, your host, Travis Wingfield, joined by Chris Kaufman at CK Parrot on Twitter. And Chris, you talked a little bit about Ryan Tannehill and kind of the shape of the offense, the two schools of thought that one side of the organization believes that they should kind of blow things up and start over, and the other side of the organization believes that, you know, Ryan Tannehill coming back is really all they needed to have happen for them to be an effective offense again. So my question to you is, Chris, and I've been playing around with this a lot, you know, I've been watching all the, the 2012, 2013, going on 2014 tape for Tannehill now, trying to kind of dive into more what his strengths are and what you can do to build around him and I think you've I mean you obviously know this you've told me this a million times before but I wanted to see it for myself he is a fantastic play action quarterback he can get out on the, on the edge of the pocket and make plays outside of the pocket as well as anybody he's a good runner as well so with that in mind that, that's why I'm curious about the tight end position and these these offensive linemen the way they build this team around like a kind of a you know a three by one or a, you know a, 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 thir- a 13 personnel type of offense with more receivers in the field why not go more towards 12 personnel, make this a play-action-based offense, get Ryan Tannehill out on the edges and do what he does best? Is that something they can maybe do, or are we going to see more of the same next year? Uh, I, I'm not convinced yet that we're going to see that we're going to see them go away from the three-wide receiver-based uh, personnel grouping. They used that an overwhelming majority of the time in both 2016 and 2017. And uh, I've heard Adam Gase just sort of refer to it as their, that's their offense. Um, and, and maybe maybe that's just the way it is. Uh, so I'm not sure I'm not sure on that. What I do know with Ryan Tannehill and and this is sort of, you know, we talk about him and, and what he's good at, what he's not good at. But when you see him not on the field and you're dealing with guys uh, that are backing him up playing on the field, you, you do gain a little bit of an appreciation for, you know, oh, well, that, that sort of pass wouldn't be in question with Ryan Tannehill. He would have completed that. You know, that's you, you see more of that. And, and I think that from an execution standpoint, yeah, we do take for granted what Ryan Tannehill can do because he executes. Uh, he's got good accuracy. Jay Cutler was, you know, uh, frantic at times in the pocket and and just trying to complete some of the more basic passes was an adventure uh, for him uh, and I think that when Ryan Tannehill comes back that's what you do find is is or what you look forward to anyway is that he can actually just execute these passes but what he needs and what he's always needed and this goes back to college is he needs a ground game that's the best way to get him to unlock his potential you keep him out of out of bad situations I don't think he's a natural you know fit for three wide receiver offense necessarily and and opening things up and really attacking the middle of the deep middle of the field and those sorts of things but uh, I do think that when you have a ground game for him as we did in 2016 when Jay Ajayi got rolling uh, he's he can be a tremendous quarterback so I would you know you, you do have there's something to be said for prioritizing that offensive line making sure they've got good 
run blocking and uh, Kenyon Drake can go wild. And that just unlocks so much of the value out of Ryan Tannehill. But as for the things that, uh, that he uses and whether it's two tight end, I think that there's some, there's some statistical backing to say that two tight end formations, uh, he's more efficient that way. But, you know, you have to question why that is, whether it's a first and 10 thing, you know, more uh, passing on first and 10 is more efficient. Two tight end sets tend to get used on first and 10. Um, so it, it, it could be just sort of a correlation, not necessarily a causation. It's hard to say. Uh, I do know that going back to college, though, and beginning with the Dolphins, he uses the slot receiver a whole lot. Um, you look at what he did in college. Uh, with Ryan Swope, and then he got to Miami with Devon Bess, and now Jar- Jarvis Landry. Um, I think that he needs a good slot receiver. So him coming back and us putting so much on him, and now Jarvis Landry possibly leaving, that's all you know, kind of a bad mix. You want Jarvis Landry to stay if Ryan Tannehill is coming back, um, but you know that just, it might not work that work out that way. And you go in 2013, Brandon Gibson was having his career year too until he got hurt that season as well out of the slot. So definitely a point of contention for the Dolphins. And another point of contention for the Dolphins is, is the draft, obviously. And we'll get to that on next episode. Chris is going to join us again tomorrow for the uh, draft preview or draft, I guess, centric episode of the Chris joining us here on the podcast. But Chris, if you could real quick, just before we get out of here for the first episode, uh, what do you think the Dolphins, do you have any names in mind? You talked a little bit about Zach Fulton at left guard and, you know, some other guys that could, mm-hmm. they could target in free agency. Who are some names that connect to the Dolphins in terms of, you know, just because I think a lot that free agency has to do with is connections to coaching staffs and that type of thing. I think you'd probably agree with that. Who are some guys that might be connected to the Dolphins coming up in free agency? Well, I think uh, right away, go to the quarterback position. They're going to get rid of Matt Moore. They're going to get rid of Jay Cutler. Uh, I think they are going to look in at the draft and they're going to do a lot of homework there. But if they're not in for somebody at 11 overall, and quite frankly, I don't think they are, um, then, then they're going to be looking at these mid-round guys that are, uh, that are all spread quarterbacks. And you're talking about Mason Rudolph and Luke Falk and Riley Ferguson. I know you like Luke Falk, but, uh, but Adam Gase absolutely hates spread quarterbacks. These guys are all air raid. So that's like the, the worst versions of the spread, really. Um, so I think that there could be some thought, uh, that starts to center on Teddy Bridgewater in free agency. Uh, and that's, that's a guy I would keep an eye on because Minnesota has this ridiculous situation where they had three quarterbacks that all played pretty well or have played pretty well for them. And all three of them are free agents and they're going to have to choose and and figure that out. And I think that they're going to go with either Sam Bradford or Case Keenum, um, and Teddy Bridgewater, because he hasn't really played football in two years, isn't going to be able to accept in a situation where he's just the declared starter or, or even, even a situation where he has a really, really good chance of fighting um, for, the, for the start. He's going to get into some situation, if he's not careful, where they turn around and take a, a quarterback with a top five pick or something like that. Um, and so he might have to look at a situation like Miami's that has a stable backup, but, you know, Ryan Tannehill, is the knee okay? Is it not okay? It's hard to say. So, um, I know that they like Teddy Bridgewater. I would say that if they decide to punt on say the second to third round quarterbacks in this draft, then Teddy Bridgewater could be the guy there. Um, I think that a wide receiver, uh, one guy that stands out as possible, you know, because of the Gaze connection, two guys, really, Emmanuel Sanders 
if he gets cut, but also Dontrell Inman out of Chicago. If um, if they're looking to really replace Jarvis and get a guy that's more of a possession guy, that's a safe-handed, you know, kind of route-running type, uh, Dontrell Inman has good production out of the slot. Um, he's and you know, watch him play. He does run run pretty well. He's a big, tall guy, six foot three. Um, he's a guy to keep an eye on. I think for the offensive line, I mentioned before that, uh, that they might have to go the other way from what they did last year and actually buy somebody on the offensive line. And if that's the case, I know that they liked uh, a guard by the name of Patrick Omame uh, last year and free agency. They didn't end up going with him. I think there were other voices in the room that wanted Ted Larson. Um, and I think those voices were probably wrong about which guy to get. Um, and so they might circle back with Omame because he had a fantastic year as a left guard for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's got really long arms, a great frame, very powerful, very good anchor. Uh, he makes run blocks that you know shouldn't necessarily be easy or be able to be made. Um, and he really improved this year in pass protection. That was the that was the big delta between this year and last year was his pass protection was so much better. But Zach Fulton is another big framed guy at Kansas City. He started like 46 games for them over the past four years. Here's a guy I like coming out of Tennessee, but he's really made made good. He's a heady player. He's, he's very smart. He's able to play multiple positions. He's played center. Uh, he played center this year for most of the year. He plays uh, left guard, right guard, whatever you want. He was a compelling left guard, uh, one of the highest rated left guards this year for the time that he did um, for he did play there. But he was also one of the highest rated centers this year, too. So um, that could be a situation, a really weird situation in Kansas City where he could walk because their center is Mitch Morse. And, uh, and he went down. That necessitated that Fulton move out to center. But when he moved out to center, they had to replace Fulton at left guard, and they replaced him with Brian Witzman, who had a really good year and is still young and cheap. So uh, they could be in some weird situation where they know that Zach Fulton is a really good player, but they try and you know pit him on the price, and uh, and you know Miami could go in and sweep in and get him. Um, I think that I've heard that they're interested in Jack Maywork, uh, who's a, a guard candidate. He's more of a pass protector. Uh, he's not uh, not a very good run blocker at all. Uh, tackle convert, you know, that's that's the way you should look at him. I don't know if I would take him over the other two guys I've talked about, but um, but he's he's been mentioned um, connected with the Dolphins. I think Tom Compton, if you look at the Chicago connection, and that's where uh, our new offensive line coach or our new old offensive line coach, however you want to look at it, Jeremiah Washburn, he came back. Um, I believe he was in, in Chicago last year, and uh, and he had Tom Compton, who played right guard for them uh, a little bit. And he's a very big body, very uh, big framed, and he tested. He's a, Athletically, he tested very well coming out. Uh, he's been kind of like a five-tool type of player at, at his time with Washington and, and bouncing around the league. Um, he plays different spots on the offensive line. He played well at right guard last year, so you know he's an eye. He's got to keep an eye on if you're looking at a bargain player. I think another bargain player to to keep an eye on is restricted free agent, but he might not get a tender, and that's um, that's Atlanta Falcons Ben Garland. And what you should look at, he's an Air Force guy, so he had to do his uh, his service before he came back to the NFL as a defensive line convert. But Adam Gase had him 
um, back when he was with the Denver Broncos. And uh, this guy has been experimented with on the offensive line for a number of years. He's one of the better, one of the best run blockers I've really seen. Um, he's not a huge guy, but he's one of the best run blockers. He's just explosive and powerful, mobile. I mean, really just fantastic. But his pass protection needs some work. So he'd be looked at as sort of a project. I would see if the Atlanta Falcons actually tender him. And if they don't, then you never know. Uh, you never know if they, they look at him and say, you know, that's that's a guy that we could get. Um, I'll save, you know, some talk about defensive players probably for another time. But um, on the offense anyway, that those are some guys that we could look at. Well, Chris, let's talk about defense on the other side of this break here real quick. Locked on Dolphins podcast, Chris Coffin, at CK Para on Twitter, talking about Dolphins free agent moves and possible moves. And we'll go ahead and do draft stuff on the next episode, Chris. So here on the Locked on okay. Dolphins podcast, we'll talk defense just right after this. And back on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, joined by Chris Kaufman, uh, talking about free agency and some of the moves Dolphins could make in terms of going in another direction with new players. And every year they seem to have about five, six, or seven guys they bring in from the free agent scrap heap. And I'm looking at the, the structure of the Dolphins roster, at least from a money standpoint, from a finance standpoint, on the defensive side of the ball, and it's not pretty. I mean, you've got Ndamukong Sue is an all-pro type of player, obviously, but, I mean, a, a 25 or $26 million versus the cap, against the cap. You have Andre Branch going $10 million against the cap. Cam Wake, $9 million against the cap. He's probably worth that. And then Kiko Alonso, almost $10 million against the cap as well. So you got a lot of money tied up into some not-so-great players there. Chris, what's some moves the Dolphins can do to kind of get this defense back on track? Because this has been a defense that has been really bad for a long time, and there were signs of improvement this year. But then once the season kind of wore on, the offense was on the field barely at all, kept the defense on the field, that kind of wore down. What are some moves they could look to do in free agency to kind of free up this this bad defense and get it back to playing the way it used to be uh, in the early 2000s? Well, I think you said it. I think you uh, when you when you point out that they've got a lot of money tied up, with guys like Andre Branch and Kiko Alonso. And this year, that that certainly didn't look very good. I mean, it, it looked like it might have been a mistake to extend those guys the way that they did. Um, they're not going to be convinced of that. Uh, and part of that is just out of necessity because they can't get rid of those guys. The, the contracts are structured to where they can't really get rid of them. Um, so they're not going to believe that that's a mistake, not until next year when they can get rid of them. So what are they going to do? They're going to try and salvage them. Uh, and when you talk about moves that they could make to try and restructure this defense and get better, uh, I think first off, it's going to be about making those players good again. Um, it's going to be about making and putting Andre Branch in the best uh, position to make good on his contract. We put Kiko Alonso in the best position, and it's not a coincidence that you saw uh, Tur- uh, the Terrell Williams, I think his name was the uh, defensive line coach of the Dolphins, let go and then replaced. And I think that that's what that's all, all about. They're, they're going to try to make sure that uh, that Branch and Wake are in position to do the best they can and make good on the money that they're being paid and in Dominican Sue. I mean, they got a lot of money tied up in those three guys and there there's too much money there to end up uh, one of the worst, you know, sacking teams and, and pass rush teams in the, uh, in the NFL. So the number one move is going to be restructuring the coaching and, um, and the scheme to make sure that these guys can, can do what they're, they're paid to do. And with the linebackers unit, Kiko Alonso, that could mean moving back to the middle. 
Uh, we're not sure yet. Uh, Raekwon McMillan is going to come back, and that's going to be a big deal. But um, but when it comes to you know the personnel that they have, especially along the front seven, which is really a front six, I've I've talked about that a lot. Um, you know the NFL, the the base defense is now nickel, uh, so there is no front seven really. Um, the seventh player in the front seven is as much of a a rotator, a rotator, or as much of a, a specialty player as you could think about a dime defensive back. Um, so anyway, but if you look at that that front, I, I'm not sure that they're going to do a whole lot in free agency. Uh, I, I don't know that they're going to go out there and, and go for an Ezekiel Ansah defensive line, uh, no matter how uh, how much I like him or how much some other people like him. I think that they're going to look at uh, Godshaw and Vincent Taylor, at, and they're going to raise the victory flags there for what they've done at defensive line or at defensive tackle. Um, they're going to put him together with Jordan Phillips the same way they've already done, and then Dominican Sue the same way they've already done. And then at defensive end, they're going to they're going to look at trying to get Andre Branch to be productive again, but putting him together with Cameron Wake. And you know they have a first round pick in Charles Harris for a reason. They like him, uh, and he did pretty well as a rotator this year. So they're going to provide plenty of opportunity for Charles Harris to be. Uh, become one of the best players in the league because they think that he could. Um, so there, there's going to be opportunity for him. They're going to add somebody, but it could be via the draft. You know, it could be it could be somebody like that. Um, I don't know that they're going to ha- do a whole lot. And then at linebackers, you got Raekwon McMillan coming back, and and fans are going to discount guys like Stephen Anthony, Neville Hewitt, and Chase Allen, but they're not. They're not going to. Um, they're going to look at those guys as being good depth, as possibly being good rotator uh, guys on on pass downs. Like Stephen Anthony was used as a guy that would come in specifically on pass downs, and he could either blitz or, or drop back into coverage and use his speed. He does have significant speed. Um, they're going to look at Neville Hewitt the same way, and maybe they they could add a guy that would give them competition. You know, somebody via the draft, and we'll talk about some of those guys later. But um, but I don't know that they're going to necessarily do a whole lot with linebackers and free agency. If they do, um, the guy that sticks out really is Tahir Whitehead uh, because of the experience that, uh, that Matt Burke has with Detroit and also how good he became in Detroit in a similar system. Um, I think that that's, I guess, one guy to look at. But ultimately, I just don't think they're going to do a whole lot there on the defensive line. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that because I've been kind of talking about the same point for a while now, and I, I've I've kind of pointed to Charles Harris as one of the most important guys on the team next year because you know you talked about the defensive end position. There's a lot of volatility there, and a lot of you know kind of it could go really really south in a hurry if you lose Cam Wake to an injury or something like that. So you really need Charles Harris to step up, and that's kind of why I'm more towards spending the resources on offense in the offseason because you look at the defense, you have so many guys that either took a step a step forward in 2017 or could be scheduled to take a step forward in 2018. You know, talking about Charles Harris, like you mentioned, Jordan Phillips going into year four, kind of an inconsistent player, but showing more signs as each year goes on. Devon Godshaw, Vincent Taylor, you mentioned, linebacker Rayquan McMillan coming back, Stephon Anthony coming back as well. And the secondary, Xavier Howard, Bobby McCain, Cordray Tankersley, all these guys still on the rookie contracts that have shown flashes of good play. So I'm excited to see what they can do on defense. Chris, let's get you back here for the draft episode here uh, for the Tuesday show. Uh, you ready to go for that one as well? Yep, yep. 
All right, he is Chris Coffin. I am Travis Winkle. That's going to do it for this episode of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating and review, and check out the other Locked On Sports podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Check out Locked On NFL's Facebook as well as Twitter page, and of course, LockedOnDolphins.com. Be back on Tuesday with another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, talking to Chris about the NFL draft as well as the Miami Dolphins for your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football.